Please bow your heads with me. Let's pray. Ask the Lord for help. Heavenly Father, please use me as a broken vessel, a weak vessel, to faithfully declare your word. To open the eyes of the blind, to soften the hearts, to instruct the hearts in righteousness, in your way, in your truth as we learned this morning from First John or Second John, excuse me. That you are the truth, the way, and the life, Lord Jesus. And that this text in Ecclesiastes is a small expression of that. It is for our wisdom that you have given us and for our children. That we would walk in wisdom in your world and a better understanding of our relationships with you and who and what we are. And I pray that this would be done by your Spirit, which you promised. In Jesus' name, amen. So you may have noticed the, uh, the title of the sermon today is Shepherds of Mist. You might be wondering, what, what, in the, what in the heck is he talking about? Shepherds of Mist. Well, consider first and foremost, before we enter into our text today, the creation account. Uh, as I've been meditating on this text for some time, there is a very close correlation to God's created order and then our association with that. And in terms of that association, our relationship to God. You'll find that as a consistent pattern all throughout Scripture is God the Creator, our relationship to the created order as by virtue of uh, our relationship to God. And there's an association to that. And so why shepherds of mist? Well, God ultimately is the shepherd of mist. Mist in this idea is this uh, idea of vapor. You know, the, the, the word vanity comes up over and over again throughout Ecclesiastes. And vanity, I don't think, is, is much expressing the idea of meaninglessness the more I think about it. As a matter of fact, James Jordan, if you've studied any of his work on creation or Ecclesiastes or the, the weird and the deep weird things in the Bible, um, or some of his works, he's uh, provoked me to a new consideration about vanity. Vanity is not necessarily a, a, a meaninglessness, a worthlessness. But vanity is this idea of, of mist or vapor, that all is merely a, a mist or vapor. And we as an expression, as image bearers of God, are in some way, shape or form, an expression of shepherds shepherding mist as well. And what, he's, what he suggests is that it's something closely correlated to the created order. God in the very beginning in the creation account in Genesis chapter 1 spoke all things into existence. And it was from nothing to something. Um, he hovered over the waters and it was formless and void. It was this mist, this idea, this expression of it was a vapor, a mere vapor. And then God spoke it into order. He ordered it. And from that arose all things that, that came into existence. And in some way, shape, or form, we do the same thing as uh, what uh, um, James Jordan calls a sub-creator or a co-creator. If you think about it, um, everything that we experience is some way, in shape, or form related to that original creation. Listen to what uh, Genesis uh, chapter 2 has to say about that, verses 5 through 8. When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant was in the field uh, had sprung up yet, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work in the ground. And a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath 
of life, this idea of this vapor, this breath of life. And man became, at that point, a living creature. What, what was once inanimate became animate. We as image bearers do the exact same thing, right? We, may, we turn things from what was inanimate to animate. It's a big part of what we do. I want you to do a little thought of experiment briefly here for a moment, just to kind of put these into perspective. I want you to look around at each other. Look at one another for a moment. Look at each other. I want you to ponder this reality. Marvel at it. Those sitting around you, these thoughtful, loving, purposeful people, are really just a bunch of animated clumps of dirt. Think about that. You are a bunch of animated clumps of dirt. Dust, from dust you came and to dust you will, at some point, return. Now what's even more amazing about that is as these animated clumps of dirt, you become these co-creators. Especially and unique among everything else in God's created order. It's really powerful when you think about the fact that you are part of this created order and cannot extend beyond it. Yet there's something about you, deep and innate within us, within all of us, that believes that we do extend beyond this. That we're, that we're a part of something that's not part of this created order per se. And we're going to get into that. But the breath of life is what I want to focus on today. The breath of life is something that I believe is really important to this text. The breath of life is something that God controls. You came as an inanimate object, God breathed into you and you became animated. And you also reflect Him. And as a co-creator, um, there's something that we do in this work that extends, of course, beyond this creation. We have a desire to continue in doing that work and co-create alongside the Lord. Let's read the text again just to remind ourselves of what we're trying to better understand from Ecclesiastes. Chapter 3, verse 9. What gain has the worker from all of his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time and also has put eternity into man's heart yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all of his toil. This is God's gift to man. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing could be, taken, uh, nothing could be added to it. Nothing could be taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. That which is already has been. That which is to be already has been. And God seeks what has been driven away. So as God's sub, uh, sub-creators, we were designed to work and develop the garden. As a co-creator, we think of things. So think about it. You imagine things, and then you build them from a material that God has already created. You bring life to it. In a sense, we use God's dirt, and then we breathe life into it, and we animate all of our creations. That is what we do. Look around. Look around at everything in this room. Think about the clothes that you are wearing right now. Where does it all come from? Where does it come from? The created order. Is there anything in this room that extends beyond the created order? No. Think about how amazing it is, just the very seats that you're sitting in right now. This building that we're in. The, the fact that I can project my voice much louder than I could naturally, although I can project it pretty loud. Three, electronic system that is wirelessly feeding uh, to the sound booth back there. Do we have a video camera recording us right now that is being projected to whoever wants to watch it and most all the earth? 
And all of that was made in some way, shape, or form, fashioned from God's dirt. So dirt clods are making dirt things, right? Think about that. A bunch of animated dirt clods making dirt things. Then they do this thing called building a culture around it. They build a society around it. It's pretty amazing when you, when you sit back and think about it. We think of something, we imagine in it, and then we bring it into existence. But here's a problem. The problem that Ecclesiastes presents is that it doesn't last. We all struggle with that, don't we? We all struggle with the fact that, like, let me give you an example. I was just thinking of this the other day. Uh, my house needs to be painted right now. I'm like, man, it would be really nice if that paint would have lasted just a little bit longer, right? Um, my bathroom needs to be fixed. Man, it would be really nice to be able to take a shower in my master bedroom. The thing breaks down. You know, what was built just a few years ago ends up breaking down. My car broke down as I was going to take my kids to football practice the other day, and I had to replace the alternator in it at the park shop. Man, it would be really nice if that Jeep would just last a little bit longer. Why is everything that we have, that we possess, that we cherish even, at some point fade away? Right? I like my 1996 Jeep Grand Cherokee with different color doors. I like that thing. I have emotional connection to it. So do my kids, you know? That thing's cool, but it breaks down. Like it's starting to wear down. The glass leaks. It's hilarious, right? But I love that thing. I love that car. You might ask why, but don't worry. I just have an emotional connection to it. It's, it's, a, it's a good car. And I'm happy to continue repairing and rebuilding it. Now, I have this also imagined idea of what it could look like in, a, in its former glory or a glory that I would like it to become. And then we bring those imaginations to life. It's called rebuilding and restoration, Right? We do that with a number of things. I, I can have my house painted again. I can paint my fence again. I can mow my lawn. I can do all these wonderful things. But what happens? What, there's a burden that comes along with that, isn't there? Especially the older you get. Things break down. You just painted it. And then a hailstorm happens. Right? You just replace your roof and then a hailstorm happens. Right? You just fix your fence and then it gets blown down. Uh, you know, you just repair your car and then the tire pops, right? I mean, just think about all the things that we do. This is the burden that I think Solomon, uh, Solomon's trying to help us better understand that we toil. God has given us this burden and it's vapor. You are literally managing vapor. You're managers of vapor. This vapor, this idea that although God has given you everything to create good things, in the end, it just blows away. <laughs> and you're supposed to enjoy that fact. That's something that blows my mind, right? When I read this text, I'm like, wait a second. You, you have given us, Lord, this burden, this toil. It, it literally melts away like I work all day on a sandcastle, as I prayed earlier. And, you know, you spend all this time and you build this wonderful, beautiful sandcastle. The tide comes in and wipes it out. And when we were little kids, what do we do? We we're like, yeah! <laughs> now as we get older, we go, man, that was a lot of work. I'm never doing that again, Right? I think of a, a video game that my son loves to play, Astroneer. And I always sing this song. Dig, 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 bet it, bet it, bet it. Dig, 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 build it, bet it, build it. So that's all they do in this whole game. They go to different planets, they dig, 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 and they build it, build it, build it. Dig, 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 build it, build it, build it. And I was cracking up as I was watching it. He's got this crazy elaborate construction in this video game. It's really amazing. They, they, they take different elements and different particles and they explore and they put all these things together and build these crazy machines, they these 3D printers, and they keep doing it. And that's all he's doing. I'm thinking, he loves this game. This guy spends hours on this thing just creating these wonderful things. He dug to the core of one of the planets even. It was pretty amazing. 
right? But that's what we do in our lives. We spend our whole lives doing that very thing. Dig, dig, dig. Build it, build it, build it. Dig, dig, dig. Right? Build it, build it, build it. That's what we do. And that's, that's what this is a result of. This construction, everything that we have here, what we're sitting on, what we're wearing, is just dig, dig, dig. Build it, build it, build it. And then Solomon comes along and says, this vanity. He opens this book of wisdom in chapter 1, verses 2 through 3. He says, vanity of vanities. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil in which he toils under the sun? And I believe that the book of Ecclesiastes is trying to help us answer that so that we can have better perspective and actually enjoy the vanity or the vapor of dig, 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 build it, build it, build it in our lives. So think about it. We get, as we work towards this text in chapter 2, verses 1 through 9, he revels in the reality that we can't even enjoy things. Like there's really no pleasure in things. You, the pursuit of pleasure in and of itself is vapor. Because we can really never find the true worth and value in just the mere pursuit of pleasure. Compare that with the text that he, this complaint that he makes at the end of chapter 2, verses 18 through 26. Let's read that together. He says, I hated all my toil in which I toiled under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to a man who will come after me. Meaning, I'm an, I worked so hard just to die and to leave it to someone else who would come after me. I can't even enjoy the work that I've worked so hard to accomplish. Who knows whether this man will be wise or a fool. He's speaking likely of his own children. Whoever is going to gain this inheritance that he worked so hard for. Yet he'll be a master of it all, for which I toiled and I used my wisdom under the sun. This is also his vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun. Because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This is also vanity and a great evil. What has a man from all the toil and a striving of heart which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow and his work is a vexation. Even in the nights his heart does not rest. And this is also vanity. And I can affirm that I didn't get very good sleep last night. So here I am, a perfect example of this very thing. My heart is vexed and I didn't get much sleep. And here you are working, toiling your whole life. Think about it. How long do most people live? What do they say now? 70 years, maybe some 80, some if you're lucky, 90. And if you're really lucky, maybe into 100. I actually know one of the oldest people on earth at this point. One of our friend's fathers. Um, what is he, like 111? No. He's old. Anyway, this is 111. And that, that's not very long when you really think about it. He's worked his entire life to accomplish something. And I'm actually considering right now um, purchasing a business. And when I think about the, the latter half of my life, there's a good possibility that is, let's say we purchase this business. I pour all of my heart's work and effort into it, make it profitable. I, I could perish in the next few years. Who am I going to hand it off to? Right? Maybe one of my children are wise. Maybe they're fools. Maybe they plunder it. You have to consider that when you pour your work into it. Oftentimes, when you think about things like that, what happens? You just kind of go, well, forget it. I'm not going to actually... Why waste the time? I'm just going to kind of sit back and hang out and play video games in my mom's basement for the rest of my life. Maybe that would be better. Why work so hard? I think that's the very question that, that Solomon's trying to propose. I hated the fact that I would have to spend my whole life investing in something and possibly could just be thrown away. Not only that, but as we learned um, from the previous text here, 
uh, in chapters 3, verses 1 through 8, as we read this morning, all things are confined to time. So there's a time-bound nature to everything. And we went through pretty thoroughly in previous sermons that I've done on this text on, on what that relationship to time looks like. And there are some cases when you've built, it, built and invested in things that time ends up sweeping it away. Like I shared, you know, my 1996 Jeep Grand Cherokee. It's not getting any younger, and I have a 1953 pickup that I just haven't gotten around to fix, but it's broken down. And it's expressing the, its confinement to time more than my Jeep is. Right? My house is starting to do that as I shared. We're all in some way, shape, or form confined to it, yet internally we have this desire to move and extend beyond it. And we get disappointed and we get frustrated that all these things are confined to time. Think about that. Why would you get disappointed and frustrated that you invest, like I think of the Tanners, investing in their property and spending so much time and working so hard and making it beautiful and creating a successful business out of it and it being a blessing to our church? Think about all this time and energy that they pour into it, right? Just let's say, I'm not saying this is going to happen, but say you were to pass away at any given moment. What would life be like? What would your kids think? Wait a minute, Lord, like, why would they pour all this time and energy into this property for you to just take them and then leave it with us? Uh, the owner of the business that I'm looking to purchase says the very same thing. He had a, fight, a, a recent bout with cancer. And it's interesting. Ecclesiastes is a very real thing on his mind. What he say is, uh, I was sobered by reality that I might not live much longer as we're sitting with him at the table, just getting over his chemotherapy. He says, yeah, I just come to realize the fact that my kids don't want this business. They have really no interest in it. It's something that, you know, he's poured a lot of time and energy into, and that thing's running down now. And he's getting to the place where he's like, I, I think I just need to sell it and move on and retire. He's pondering the realities that, it, that Solomon is sharing with us here. Um, it's something that we all have to wrestle with. Think about it. How many times you've thought in your mind, man, I'm just as uh, Trent Reznor wrote in his song Hurt, Building an Empire of Dirt. Listen to this. Listen to this example. This interesting. It came to my mind as I was writing my sermon notes. You might not think Nine Inch Nails would have something to say about this, for those who don't know that. Pretty polarizing rock band from the 90s. But listen to this song. It was interesting. It was actually covered later by Johnny Cash. And it actually became one of the top, I think, five uh, music videos of history ever to be made um, because of how real and raw it was as he's expressing it emotionally, as he's singing it. And it's really something that reflects well in his own life. Listen to the lyrics of the song. He says, I hurt myself today to see if I still feel. I focus on the pain, the only thing that's real. The needle te tears a hole, the old familiar sting. Try to kill it all away, but I remember everything. What have I become? My sweetest friend, everyone I know goes away in the end. And you could have it all. My empire of dirt. I will let you down. I will make you hurt. I will wear this crown of thorns upon my liar's chair. Full of broken thoughts, I cannot repair. Beneath the stains of time, the feelings disappear. You are someone else. I am still right here. What have I become, my sweetest friend? Everyone I know goes away in the end. And you could have it all, my empire of dirt. I will let you down. I will make you hurt. If I could start again a million miles away, 
I would keep myself. I would find a way. The inspiration Trent Reznor shares was a song that he wrote some words and music in his bedroom as a way of staying sane in a bleak and desperate place that he was in, totally isolated and alone. Here's a man who was pretty successful. This song came later in his career. And the imagery in the video includes provocative subjects like war atrocities. I'm quoting a, a, um, an article written in the AmericanSongwriter.com by uh, Jacob Uedi to make sure we give credit here. Provocative subjects like war atrocities, a nuclear bomb test, survivals from a battle in Stalingrad, a snake looking into a camera, a time-lapse video of a fox decomposing, played backwards, and more. Think about that. Why, would I, why do you think I would share that in light of this sermon? Enter our text, verses 9-11. through 11. Solomon says this, What gain has a worker from his toil? What gain? I have seen the business of God that He has given to the children of man to be busy with. Why would God do such a thing? Why would He put us in this life, this temporal life, that we would work and invest all this time and energy in things only to die and to see everything fade away? But how does He answer that question? But He, God, has made everything beautiful in its time. What does that say about God and what does it say about us? What man imagines and labors to accomplish with this mist and vapor of an experience in this created order is merely temporal. It's, it doesn't last, right? It's not fixed. But when God speaks, the mist and vapor obeys His command. It lasts, and in time, it's perfected. What, what, what causes deterioration in our experience is perfected in time with God's. It's very interesting. What is temporal, weak, and unfixed is hard, fast, fixed, solid, and beautiful with God. I love that. I love the second point that he makes here. Look at this in verse 11b. He says, He has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I, I thought that verse was really provocative in light of this text. Now, if we think about God perfecting things and making it beautiful over time, we can look into it and say, man, there's a whole lot of chaos. There's a whole lot of challenges, difficulties, pains, frustrations in this time of vapor that we have, right? The kind of struggles that we have. But we can definitely look back even in our own lives and go, God has made this beautiful over time. We have examples, I think two prime examples, Joseph, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Joseph admits, he says, look, what I went through, the pain, struggles, and difficulties, being sold into slavery by my brothers, imprisoned multiple times for unrighteous reasons, and then raised and exalted to the second hand of power in Egypt. A famine came in that I predicted based on a word, a dream, an interpretation of a dream, that ended up resulting in not only my... Uh, my promotion to my status, but also being able to preserve the life of my people, which ultimately end up working out God preserving His people. He made that beautiful in time. Jesus Christ lived a perfect life and yet was put on the cross by the hands of wicked men, Peter says in Acts. But it was predestined and predestined, predetermined as such. 
the most atrocious event in history, the most unjust event in history, was predicted and determined by God before the foundations of the world were laid. That Christ would ultimately suffer on our behalf as the perfect sacrifice, giving the ultimate payment for our sins. Listen to Solomon, how he points this out, how he's constantly revisiting this idea. In Ecclesiastes 1, 4-7, he says, A generation goes, and a generation comes. But the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to a place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north and around goes the wind. And on its circuits, the wind returns. All streams run into the sea, but the sea is not full to the place where the streams flow. There they flow again. Solomon is trying to paint a picture for us. He's trying to say, look, you need to pay very close attention to what God does. Stop paying as much attention to what you're doing. You're temporal. Your time here and in, in what you are doing in this life is temporal. Yet God, what He does, always remains forever. Notice, generations come and generations go. It's the same thing Trent Reznor is acknowledging. I'm building this empire of dirt. Who am I handing it off to? If I could start all over again, I would have done things differently. God, He starts it once and He perfects it over time. Right? There's a structure, a real firmness to what God does. A lasting firmness. There's sentient, sentient nature to what God does. God actually gives an awareness to His creatures. There's a symbionts in God's created order. There's a way that we cohabit and co-survive with one another. Everything is created in its perfect, perfect way, its balanced way, its structured way, so that we all live and move in this, in this place based on God's control and structuring. Yet we die and it remains. There's a stability to God's created order. A guarantee of abiding values if you think about it. What's interesting is um, in the video, uh, he talks about this death and destruction. And one example that came to my mind is, have any of you guys seen the, the movie 1917? About World War I, right? It was about a man, it was during trench warfare. Um, and uh, he was to carry a message to the other side uh, of the trenches. And he would have to go through enemy lines in order to make it there. It was a very dangerous path. But they had information on the inside that he could make it that he could get to the other side because uh, the troops, the enemy had withdrawn. If you haven't seen it, I don't want to give away everything. But there's some powerful scenes in there. Um, a really amazing video in terms of its um, uh, videography. Very amazing. Um, it won many awards. One thing that really stood out to me as I was thinking about this text, when you, take, when you think about the structure, this firmness, this idea that there's an awareness, there's... There, there's this eternity on our hearts that we think about things that go beyond the mere material experience. Yet, although there are abiding values and we can see them, we know them, we can appreciate them, wars and destruction happen. And in this movie, one thing they do very well is show an expression of these beautiful fields, God's created order. You know, beautiful flowers, beautiful settings, and in that, war and destruction. And the reason I thought about it is like, you know what, uh, later on Solomon brings up this idea that even the trees have a greater advantage to us. <sighs> they can die with all their seedlings and whatnot, fall into the ground and actually sprout new life. We die and we're gone. We're dead, dead. Trees actually have a greater advantage than we do. We are like beasts, as we read this morning uh, in, the, in our call to worship, that what? Like the beasts, we have air and we go away. 
we return to the dust just like beasts. Yet the created order has a great far, a, a far greater advantage. Here we are living in God's created order, building our empires of dirt, destroying each other as a result of it, and yet you see these beautiful flowers in this sea of bodies that are lying on the ground. The created order has a greater benefit than, than, than we do. We fight and destroy one another while God's created order lasts. A generation comes and a generation goes, and it'll continue on until God perfects it over time. So think about it. This reality we can't truly comprehend. You know, the more you meditate on it, the more you think about it. We don't really understand how all these things work. As a matter of fact, this is exactly, if you know, Job's complaining in the midst of his suffering and his struggling. How does God respond to him? God responds by saying, where were you when I made everything? And he starts going into heavy descriptions about the created order, which is really interesting. Job's suffering, and God knows Job's suffering. He knows he's dealing with these trials and tribulations, and he knows he brought this difficulty on Job's life. Job, honestly, you, if you really read through it, you think about, wait a minute, he had a lot of right to complain, a lot of right to be frustrated. God acknowledged him as a righteous man. But God responds with what? Not, oh, hey, Job, I know you've been having a tough time, but I brought this upon you to really prove a point to Satan, and the readers of this book will understand the wisdom of it in the end. No. He points out who he is as the creator, and he identifies particular facets of the created order that would have been beyond Job's comprehension. Would have been beyond his comprehension. So when we fight and struggle with things that we don't quite understand, we deal with difficulties, trials, tribulations, suffering, pain, we need to go, there's something about this that God promises, as he promises in Romans 8, for you who know the passage, to perfect this in, over time. He will make all things beautiful. He promises that. All things will be beautiful in the end. It may not look like that in our lifetimes even. It may not come about where we actually get to see the fruition of that in our lives. But he promises to perfect thing over time. It is as concrete as you know, as firm as this, well, kind of firm, as this stage that I'm standing on. Let's use that as an example, right? As this building that we're sitting in. Uh, let me say, to use C.S. Lewis's term in The Great Divorce, it is more firm than reality. It is more firm. Heaven, the heavenly reality is more firm than the very reality we experience today. What God promises to uphold and keep and hold together, He does. He guaranteed it to Noah, and that still stands today. He will fulfill His promises and perfect all things over time. All things work together for the good for those who are in Christ. He promises that. He will bring all things into perfection. And what we should note about that is that God has sovereignly fixed everything and is providentially working everything out. What appears to be chaos, which we could also say using creational language is, appears to be lifeless without form and void, and endless flux and evils of life, he does make beautiful. In our Sunday school, uh, we've been, might I say, reveling in that for a period of time now as we work through redemptive history. Starting with Adam and Eve, we've worked through Noah, we've gone through Abraham's life, through Joseph's life, now through Moses' life, and we're moving on to the conquests of Cana and Joshua. And for those who haven't attended, you guys are missing out. Because one thing that we are watching very closely is how God unfolds providentially redemptive history. How He is taking this thing that is formless and void, this chaotic, these evils, and He is perfecting it really over time according to His perfect promises that He have given to Adam and Eve all the way in the beginning and has promised and upheld them all the way throughout 
the course of history up to the entrance to the promised land. And we have to remember too, at the end of this, this should be an encouragement to us. If God's doing that, or he has done that in history, what does that mean for our hope in in Christ? What, What about the eschatological hope that we're looking forward to? With that in mind, think of this. Verses 12 through 15, he says, I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and do good as long as they live, despite all these things, these horrible examples that I just provided you. Despite everything that he is concerned about, despite his frustrations, despite his anxieties, um, you should do good as long as you live. Everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all of his toil. This is God's gift to man. Guys, how often do you spend time with one another joyfully doing good? eating and drinking and taking pleasure in all the things that God has provided in your life, despite what maybe you've experienced? I know, I'm exhausted, and I can probably speak for Greg, over the course of this last few weeks, I am exhausted from taking pleasure in eating and drinking uh, and my toil under the sun with friends and family members and loved ones. How often do you realize that that is your gift? God has given that to you. That you, in light of that, you can meditate on the fact that God, what He does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it. Nothing can be taken away from it. God's done it so that people would fear before Him. God has set you in your time, place, and habitation, as Paul says in Acts 17. God has made you fearfully and wonderfully. He has placed you here today. He has brought people around you, loved ones. People who we don't necessarily get along with all the time. We might rub each other the wrong way. Just remember, you're just a dirt clot. Sometimes you're dirt bags. <laughs> yeah, I said it. We tend that we can be dirt bags sometimes, can't we? But God has placed you in His body. And what God has done is everlasting in Christ. I love this. Think about this, what he says in Ephesians, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2. By grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of work, so that anyone should boast in it. Listen to this carefully. We are His workmanship. We are formed from the dust. We are are His workmanship. We were created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that what? We should walk in them. You're God's workmanship. Knowing that, does what God do endure? Everything that you do in Christ Jesus will endure. Everything. Don't get caught up in the temporality of this life. Remember, God's gift to you is to toil under the sun, to be shepherds of this vaporous time, shepherds of your vaporous life, have children, be fruitful and multiply, do good as long as you live, eat and drink and take pleasure with those around you. Appreciate the time that you have one another. Appreciate the time with your children. Appreciate the time that we have every Sunday. We talked about the Sabbath day, the Lord's day. This is the Lord's Sabbath and He is the Lord of it. And He has called us to come together and appreciate this time of refreshing, to eat and to drink together, to celebrate with one another. In the midst of all the vaporous chaos, knowing that God will perfect things over time perfectly in Christ. Think about this final passage. That which has already been, that which will be, already has been. And God seeks 
what has been driven away. And this text is interesting to me because, of course, the last thing you want to do when you're preaching a sermon is have to end on a textual variant. <laughs> so, the NESB says, God seeks what is passed by. Uh, the, the Lexham Bible says, God will do what He's done. The New King James Version says, God requires an account of what is past. This is all the same text, by the way. The Holman Christian Bible says, God repeats what is past. And our text here says, God seeks what has been driven away. Now, if I might argue, I believe that what we see is a consistent pattern all throughout Ecclesiastes is exactly how, when he ends these themes, these each one of these themes, notice, pleasure, God will bring all things into judgment, right? Uh, things related to time, God will bring all things into judgment. Here we are now in another thing. God has, got, God has commanded you to enjoy the things that He's given to you as a gift. And what, how does Ecclesiastes 12 end? The end of the matter has all been heard. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. You're to, you're, to, you're to do that. God will bring every deed into a judgment, every secret thing, whether it is good or evil. So no matter how you interpret this in some way, shape, or form, these understandings capture that idea. God will seek what, is, what needs to be pursued, what has been put away. God will do what He's done. God will require an account of the past. He'll repeat what is past. He will continue this, in a sense, until it is utterly per, uh, perfected. So to conclude here, listen to uh, what Paul says in 2 Corinthians about that very thing. Um, as he's uh, discussing who we are in Christ. What it means to be a new creation in Christ Jesus. Paul says, we should always be of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith and not by sight. We entrust that God is a good creator. We entrust that what God sets to motion, He will perfect, that it is solid. It is more firm, man I say, than what we experience in this very reality. And we walk by faith and not necessarily by sight, and by virtue of that have great courage in our lives to uphold these things and to be obedient to Him. Yes, Paul continues, we are of good courage and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. There's something to look forward to about being present with the Lord Jesus Christ. What I would suggest is something far more concrete than what we experience now. But it causes their lives to look a certain way. Whether we are here at home or away, we make it clear to make our aim to please Him. Or, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Listen to this. So that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether it be good or evil. It is the exact same pattern of Ecclesiastes. So let this be set before your eyes. Think about it. Everything that you do today, in some cases it will last. And in some cases, not, not at all. In some cases, it will be burned up. And in some cases, you'll be able to enjoy it and appreciate it forever. What you do today matters. What you do in your life matters. Listen to this. Despite the reality that you face, the difficulties, the evils, the pain, the chaos, know this, that in Christ you will be perfected in the end. Know this, that what you put your hands to vocationally matters to Christ. And it will, uh, it will last. Know this, that what you do in your family and the way you raise your kiddos, although you might not think so in some cases, moms who are stay-at-home moms, Moms who fight to provide for their children. Moms who work hard. That will last. 
you raise your kids in Christ. Dads who go to work every day and don't get to really spend a lot of time with their family, maybe not as much as they would like to, who feel like they're working in this dead-end, vaporous job. It matters. It will last. God promises that. Let's say you don't get to live a long, lengthy life, but you live to the fullness. You make your aim Christ in the end of it. And God takes you at an early age. It'll last. Let's say you get to live a long, old age. Ripe, but don't feel like you really contributed much. Start contributing. It will last. It matters to Christ. Let's bow our head. Heavenly Father, I pray that... um, this message would have been pointed. It would have the weight of the text would have provoked each one of us in some way, shape, or form to consider our lives, to ponder it briefly. I believe that is why you have given us the book of Ecclesiastes, that we would be sobered by the reality that we are temporal, that we are mere animated dirt clods given some special intrinsic value as an image bearer of God. Something that to be appreciated, something that you exalt. Something that is perfected and even exalted in Christ more so than it was in your original created order. There's something profound about who we are in our lives, despite the chaos and the disasters that we face. Oh Lord, that we would, with Paul, say Christ is our aim and obedience to Him is is what perfects our life. And that we know that everything that we touch and put our hands to, although it may be perceived as vapor, although it may be perceived as fleeting, that it is an investment in the kingdom. And we walk by faith and have great courage with Him. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.